Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 169, September of 2023. And this is another episode where we feature one of our plays based on exploration. This is Yours by Christine Benvenuto. We'll have a short interview with Christine following the play. Yours by Christine Benvenuto, starring A.J. Sage as Oliver, a 19-year-old man, and Brad Barfield as Larry, a middle-aged man, and featuring Morris Stevens as the receptionist. The scene is set in the waiting room of a DNA testing laboratory. Funny meeting you here. Fancy. What? Fancy. It's fancy meeting you here. Look, never mind. It's not funny or fancy. I said I'd come. Yeah, but what does that mean? Are you a, a man of your word? Because I don't really know you, do I? That's true, I guess. We don't really know each other that well, though we've been neighbors for quite a while now. Ha! Neighbors. Yes, neighbors. More than kith and less than kin. Yeah, we've been neighbors all my life. We're only sitting here together in this waiting room because you were neighbors with my parents. I mean, with my family. I mean, with my mom and her husband. Since before I was born. Before I was conceived. Actually, that's a funny phrase. Man of your word. Hmm. The man is of his word. Like being of a certain place or a certain time. Of his parents. The word gives rise to the man, gives life. The man is of the word like he's of his father. Better make sure you've got the right word if you're going to be of it. <laughs> Better make sure you've got the right father. That's funny, isn't it? You're overthinking it. You've got this issue on the brain. You're seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it here, that's for sure. Here at the DNA testing lab, I kind of can't help but see it, can I? Yes, I can't argue with that, kid. Gloria! Ah, here you are. Come on down, Gloria. Must be a lot of people doing it these days. Huh? Must be. I mean, Larry, don't get me wrong. I'm, like, appreciative that you showed. I, hey, thanks, dude. Especially since you think this is all a big waste of time. Especially since you're not exactly hoping to find your long-lost son. You're tapping your foot. You're nervous. That makes sense. Look, I don't... I, what am I supposed to think? You march up on my lawn one day when I'm kneeling there, pulling up weeds with this mad dog look on your face, this, this humongous scowl swallowing your face, and the next thing I know, you're demanding my DNA. So? So that's personal. Doesn't get more personal. <sighs> okay, fine. Maybe you're right. I'm not your son. I'm not any man's son. Maybe I'm not my mother's son either. Well, but she gave birth to you. Do you know that for a fact? Were you there in the delivery room? That would be evidence of a sort, wouldn't it? She was pregnant. She went to the hospital. She came back to you. Circumstantial. And kid, I mean, you look just like her. I think I look just like you. You don't look anything like me. 
I can't understand why she would tell you I'm your father. She didn't. Wait, what? I thought she told you. I figured it out myself. I mean, look at me. I'm extremely good looking and so are you. Uh, uh, is that, are you, I mean... You're wondering if that was a joke? It was. No, we look alike, that's serious. Neither one of us is great looking, neither is terrible. We're both ordinary. That's one of the ways we're alike. Another is that neither of us has a terrific sense of humor. Those are two ways the entire world is alike. <laughs> Most of it. Is that what your mother say about your parentage? She didn't. She refused to tell you? I haven't asked, okay? What? Why not? It's awkward. It's not just something I can bring up at Thanksgiving when she's introducing her new boyfriend. Duh. I mean, look at how you reacted. But she knows about it. I mean, she knows if she was with another guy. And if she was, she has to at least realize that it's a possibility. I mean, your father told you. The two of them must have talked about it. You're my father. So I'm going to confront her, okay? when I have the scientific facts from here, from this place. Okay, so you want to know how I figured it out, aside from our amazing resemblance. Another factor, proximity. How easy would it be for my mother to have an affair without anyone knowing? She worked all day in a school with kids and women, and she was married. Living on a street where everyone knew everyone. Was she going to go running through the backyard to some guy at the end of the road? You were right next door. Who else was she going to have an affair with? The houses had families, mostly couples, old people, and there you were. The right age, single, available. I wasn't single. What? I wasn't in those days single. We broke up. She moved out. You were too small to remember my wife. Huh? What happened? We divorced. I got that. Why? What caused it? Oh, you know. What caused it? Take it easy. There's never just one cause. No, I don't want platitudes. Next, you're going to say that you grew apart. Well, that's true. She moved out on you. Why? She thought stuff that was not true. She was paranoid. What stuff? She thought I was unfaithful. Aha! She was wrong. I knew you jumped at conclusions. Why didn't you have children? I mean, with her. Just didn't get around to it, kid. We weren't together that long. You keep calling me kid. I'm an adult man, you know. I know. What can I say? To me, you're a kid. I get it. Once your baby, always your baby. Ramon. Come on down, Ramon. Come on down. She thinks she's a game show host. What? Nothing. Never mind. For your time. Right. If you don't think I'm right, why didn't you give me your DNA? Why did I have to take it? You shouldn't have done that. You should lock your door. I do now. Yeah, because think of all the kids who grew up in the neighborhood. What? They might all start coming around. Ha! I've gone from fathering you to populating a neighborhood. I've been busy. A diverse neighborhood at that. You give me a lot of credit, kid yourself not much distinction you think you and all the kids around us look alike yes 
we all look like you. <laughs> Is that what you told him here when you booked this appointment? That you wanted to find out if I was the big daddy of the whole neighborhood? Big daddy. That's good, Larry. I told them that my father and I wanted to confirm my paternity. Your father? Is he cut? Oh, you mean me. Speaking of our appointment, just give me a quick sec, Larry. What was that about? Just talking to the receptionist. I could see you were talking to the receptionist. What about? The two of you were smirking at me. Not smirking. She asked if you were my dad. I said that's what we were here to find out. I told her, either way, I'm going to need some sweet, sweet company after this. Oh, tell me you didn't say sweet, sweet <laughs> company. I didn't. That would be heavy-handed. I'm keeping things light, laying the groundwork. <laughs> it's a good pickup line, though. I don't even know who my father is. Chicks like it. Hey, they'd probably go for, I've discovered the son I never knew I had, too. You could try it. Pathetic. I don't need a pickup line. Yeah, me neither. I'm good with the ladies, just like dear old dad. Your dad's a real ladies' man? Oh, you mean me. Oh, oh, yeah. It can't be me, kid. I didn't even live in this town 21 years ago. What a coincidence. Neither did I. I'm 19. What? Wait, no. You said you were 21. I never said that. Your father sat you down and told you, you on your 21st birthday, you said that. He didn't sit me down. We were standing up. And I was 18, not 21. You're telling me he didn't even let you sit down first? I'm telling you. Here, I'll paint the scene for you. He buys me a beer, which I, being 18, can't buy for myself. Gotta give him that. No stools available, so we're standing up in this bar. It's, it's all mirrors in there. He hands me a beer, and he's watching me in the mirror, meeting my eyes. We're celebrating my birthday. I think. I take a sip. He takes a sip. We're looking at each other in the mirror. And? And then he tells me. Just like that? Yep. Cold. I mean, kid, cold. I don't even know what else to say about it. What else is there to say about it? You can't just stop being your father. You don't just stop being somebody's father. Yeah, well, he's doing it. All this DNA stuff. I mean, what is DNA anyway that it should matter so much? You're asking me to explain DNA? I'm not. I'm saying that what difference does it make? How did he even find out? Oh, he was trying to get his girlfriend pregnant. Doc said he's infertile. Always has been. Always will be. Completely bunk in that department. <laughs> Thought he was going to have a second kid and found out he didn't even have the one. He still has one. If you were mine. If I was yours. So you've been thinking about this over a year. What took you long to, to say something? I needed to work things out. It's not something you just jump into. I guess, hmm, 19, huh? When's your birthday again? Again? <laughs> Have you ever known my birthday? And why so interested all of a sudden? 
You thinking about making up for missing 19 of them? You've had your hands on my DNA, and it's too personal to ask your birthday. You're tapping your foot again. Look, kid, I don't blame you. You know what I thought? This is what I thought. I thought, if he shows, he's the one. He, he knows what I'm going to find out, and if he shows up, it's because he wants to be here for it. If he doesn't show, he's not the one. Either that or he's a coward. But now I see another possibility. You're a stand-up guy, and you feel sorry for me. You know I'm going to hear it's no match, but you feel bad about me hearing it alone. Yeah, I mean, this is so, so, how is this happening to me? What's happening to you? I don't know. Nothing, everything. Look, it was just that summer, that, that first year of my marriage. That, that first year? That first year or two. True, my wife moved out after that, but I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. What guy are you? Good question. Maybe I'm not the guy I thought I was. You mean childless? Well, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This gives me a lot to think about. You really think any of the neighborhood kids your age look like you? Oh, wow. That was a joke. I thought it was a joke. I guess the joke's on me. Hey, I always wanted siblings. I'm not saying... Oliver? 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 I guess that's us. I guess it is. I guess it is, kid. Us. Hmm. Come on, Oliver. Let's go. That was yours by Christine Benvenuto, featuring A.J. Sage as Oliver, Brad Barfield as Larry, and Morris Stevens as the receptionist. Christine was kind enough to give us a few moments of her time to talk about the play and her writing. It's, it stands out on, on a couple of levels for me. One is the relationship. One is the situation where everything is not so set in stone. And it's a very human play which is what I like. Um, where did this come from? How did that, how, how did that work its way into your, into your heart and your soul and onto the page? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, knowing you would be asking that for sure, I was trying to figure it out myself. Um, I know that for a while, I've had this idea of two men sitting in a waiting room together mm -hmm. And I didn't know what their relationship was, who they were, or what they were waiting for. Okay. And I ended up writing two short plays, uh, and one with that beginning with that scenario, very very different from each other. And one of them is yours. And I think I I wrote it very quickly. It came to me very quickly after you know carrying that that image of the two men sitting together. It came to me very quickly, and I think I sent it to you like you were the first person I sent it to. And I think I sent it like the day or the day after I finished it. And so this is wonderful. But I I also have been preoccupied. I was thinking about my preoccupations. You know, I think we have as writers or 
artists, we have preoccupations on two levels. One is sort of the content or material level. And sometimes we also have preoccupations, I think, in form, you know, certain forms we want to try out uh, yeah. again and again in different ways. And I've come to realize that I have two preoccupations I'm working with currently. And one um, is a kind of disruption. And that takes different different forms, disruption in terms of a storyline, a narrative, um, one's personal history, and also um, disruption in on the stage, in, in what happens uh, between characters or, or in a scenario. And another preoccupation of mine, and this very much is tied in with disruption, is family configurations. Um, people discovering children as they didn't know they had people oh, yeah. discover um and that's of course very much a thing of our time with dna testing sure is. Uh, but, yeah <laughs> and i mean that this doesn't happen to me but obviously it doesn't happen to women in the same way well it could happen to, yeah it could happen as a child uh i don't have personal experience with that but also um it, like in other things i've i've been working on um People having family secrets, I guess, is an, another way to put it. Sure. And th things that as they arise, because inevitably they will, may reconfigure the family as it sees itself or, you know, as it comes together and as it parts. Um, fragments. So right. fragmentation and disruption in, in families is very interesting to me. It's something that I'm just sort of letting myself at this point go with my preoccupations creatively because I'm finding them very fruitful <laughs> for producing lots of different um, kinds of work. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, bad decisions usually make great uh, drama. So, yeah. you know, that's... Where else would the conflict be if it weren't for disruptions, mistakes, bad decisions, and... All the wonderful things that humans do when we think we're actually doing the right thing, you know, or doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, too. Exactly. So, yeah. So do you subscribe to the, the maxim that secrets always out? That's a great question. I think they don't, probably. But of course, then we don't know about them. We only know about the ones that come out. Um, or if we're keeping, I mean, I don't think that secrets come out all the time. I think one of the things that interests me is the choices we make. And you just said about doing, thinking we're doing the right thing. Sometimes we know we're not doing the right thing, but we don't really, really take on board that there are going to be long-term ramifications from that wrong thing. Right. And, it's, and it doesn't have to be a wrong thing. It also doesn't have to be a wrong thing. It might be a wrong thing. It might not be a wrong thing but i just think that there are long-term repercussions from actions and so yeah maybe the secret comes out maybe it never comes out but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect sure. relationship or life courses well secrets secrets have weight and carrying weight around you know one of these metaphysical existential whatever word you want to use baggages for a period of time takes its toll, you know, and I'm thinking about, uh, 
Oliver and Larry right now and things that the both of them have been carrying around. And finally, it comes down to this meeting. And I'll tell you two things about this right now. One, it ended way too quickly for me, but we'll talk to that. We'll talk about that. Um, okay. okay. But the other one was you are a writer and obviously you deal with words and wordplay is one of those things that people use either as a deflection or as a way of finding a way into somebody else's defenses. And you have a, a passage in there uh, where Oliver says, man of your word. The man is of his word, like being of a certain place or a certain time of his parents. The word gives rise to the man, gives life, and it goes on. And he talks about of your word, of your place, like he's trying to nail down where Larry fits into the story or where he fits into the story or the both of them fit as they sit side by side in this, this DNA testing waiting room. And I was just, I was, I love that little passage because I love wordplay and you've, you've got a sense of humor in here that is very subtle. You know, it, it, it underlies a lot of the dialogue that goes in there because you could go for the cheap laughs, but you don't. And I think that's one of the things that actually grounds this play really well. That was a really long question. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm no, that, I'm so glad you're raising the question of humor because or I, I think about humor a lot because I tend to gravitate toward fairly um, heavy material and to want to approach it in a, uh, I don't know if light way maybe isn't the right way to put it, but with humor, with absurdist elements. And I find that audiences just really love to laugh. Oh, yeah. And I, I was just I, I, in auditions for, for a staged reading of for another project. And I was just, people are just, dying to laugh and sometimes I feel like I, I'm not giving them enough laughs and that they they would love the cheap humor and and I can't somehow I don't do that or I mean cheap that's okay I don't want to say cheap but I think some people are better at it yeah the humor that just comes really easily mm -hmm. I, I feel like there are so many people so many writers who are great at that and oh, I don't yeah. feel like I am great at I feel like if I tried to keep humor out, I couldn't, but I also can't sort of do the very direct, like I could, I can't imagine being able to write comedy. That seems amazing to me or to be a stand-up comedian or something, you know, mm -hmm. I just feel like I, I'm in awe of actually of that. I would love to be able to write comedy and I don't feel I'll, I'll ever be able to just write a straight comedy, but there is a, a sort of a um, ironic or sarcastic or absurdist way that I think I just see the world and I can't keep that out either. Sure. And it's the speech that you're mentioning was actually longer. And I just had to cut it back because I realized nobody else wants to hear all the possible. <laughs> but I'm having so much fun writing it. Yes, exactly. And you know, you have to trim, trim back a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm aware of that. Yeah, it's yeah. people. You're talking about 
finding humor and writing humor, you know, just writing joke after joke after joke for, you know, Robin Williams or whatever, you know, somebody like that. Solid, yeah. surefire, comedic hits that, you know. But a lot of the humor I found that is the most devastating and the most poignant is the humor that arises from the silly moments that we have all the time, the silly, stupid things that we do. And it doesn't have to be heavy-handed. It can be extremely light. And you, you do that in, the, in, in this play. There are moments that you touch on and then, and then move away. But it reminds me of something, Theater of the Absurd. I mean, the first time I heard the, the phrase, Theater of the Absurd, I thought, oh, human history. And yeah. Yeah, because we're the, we're the best sources of... I'm not saying laugh out loud humor, but more, oh my gosh, that is so true, kind of funny humor. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just regular, it's the things people do every day. That, you know, the, the things we say and, and the, the, you know, we stand around and look and we go, how did we get here? And we think, oh, that's how we got here. It is kind of funny in a way. So, yeah. I want, yeah. I want to talk about the ending of the play because... When I read it, I had to check and see if there were more pages in the document because I did not actually think that was how it was going to end. And then I had to go back and reread it. And I thought, okay, she knows how to end a play really well <laughs> to the point where, wow. Um, what made you just, because as soon as they start getting into it, the issues are raised. Did he have an affair with his mother? Were they living right next to each other? What was the age difference? Because the age difference goes back and forth and slowly it starts to get to a point and then, bang, it's over and they're called in. And I sat there thinking, where's the other half of this play? Um, what made you stop there? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess... For me, and um, this isn't necessarily a good answer, but it's, I think it's the true answer. That was the moment when I knew, when it resolved for me, uh, when um, Larry discovers that he's been wrong about his assumption about Oliver's age. Sure. And that what he thought about Oliver's age meant that he could not be who Oliver was looking for. And then he discovers something that reconfigures that possibility and possibly his whole life. Mm. And um, I didn't actually start writing this. Sometimes I know exactly where things are going and I, and I write things that way. And sometimes I don't. And this was one where I didn't. I didn't know whether they were going to actually be um, connected in this way. Yeah. And um that was the moment where I realized that, that you know they're getting up to go in and they actually yeah it, it resolved for me and so I stopped writing and it would be very interesting I mean you're raising a possibility here that I didn't even think about which is maybe I shouldn't stop there maybe I should keep pushing and discover something new I don't know something more once I went back and reread it I thought okay this is a very natural, logical place to end this particular sequence of events. Mm -hmm. And yes, even though I want to know more about what's going on, that is never, 
The only time that is, is important is to the playwright when they hear that and they realize the audience bought into it, they like the characters, they're, they're involved in the story, naturally they want to hear more, I must have done a pretty decent job, or a very good job, in which case, true with this. And having unanswered questions is a part of life. Okay. And not, you know, not always getting the entire truth. You know, I'm a part-time historian, and I realize that after all these years of, re of reading texts and tomes and all that sort of stuff, the truth is a very, very, very elusive thing and different for so many people who all know the same facts, okay? But the truth of this situation is elusive, and I think that's the way it should be. That was the thing mm. that sold me on picking this play for for production. It was one of those things where you sit there and you think, yeah, because who knows? I mean, does it, at this point, does it even really matter? Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting that you say that because I, that's, I sort of, um, which is probably not unusual, I sort of identify with the perspective of each of these two characters, the one who really wants to know mm. what is the DNA going to say, and, uh, and that's Oliver. And then Larry it, it says at a certain point, you know, what does this matter anyway? That man who raised you, he is your father. He can't just stop being your father. Right. And and there, I mean, and obviously that's sort of the the heaviest to me and most painful uh, content here is the rejection based on DNA that has you know preceded where we're right. at in this. But I think that that's such an interesting question that DNA testing now, you know, it it just raises this possibility of discoveries and disruption and changing what we think we know and what we think we know about who we're related to. And yet at the same time, I ask myself, does it matter? You know, does it really matter that much? And then I go back and feel like, yeah, it kind of matters. You know, it's, it's so fascinating. I think it's just, there's just something we really, we really do. I feel like we really are driven to know history. You know, you know, you're talking about history and I, I feel like there's so much we don't know about the past. And when you find out that science can actually answer a question that you maybe never thought could be answered, it's, I, I think we're compelled to go down that, that path. I, I agree with you. And as you were saying this, I'm thinking, yes, we have this desire to know the truth, but are we prepared for what that truth brings us? Because we think, if I know the truth, then I can feel better about a lot of things. And frequently, the truth will make you feel worse. Yes. And it's a, it's this crazy thing. You're walking into a cave. There's no light. And you have no idea where you're going or what you're going to find at the other end. But this cave has been there for a long time. You, you, you decide the important thing is walking in there and figuring out what's going on. And that's always tricky. So, yeah, science provides a lot of answers. It also provides a lot of conundrums and a... A passel of difficulties thereafter, too. There's one question always. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so rich. It's such okay. rich terror. Absolutely. Last thing I want to touch on before we before I let you go. Destination Wedding, your um, one of your previous plays, was just on at Clay and Water. And yes. 
Tell me about that. What was that like? It got a reading. Um, how did the audience react? What was what was the production uh, like for you? Um, how, how, how so did it, it was all a, work? It, yeah, it was a staged reading. The play in an earlier configuration had received a staged reading in Western Massachusetts. That was last summer. And um, I rewrote it based on, you know, some... Uh, some audience feedback, but also, I mean, you know, just hearing a play read mm. by actor tells you so much, even if no one were to say anything afterward, you know, just hearing oh, yeah, it. Absolutely, is, yes. Yeah, it's so informative. So I'd done some rewriting and um, yeah, sent it to, to Clay and Water and I, I was chosen. And um, so, you know, a small cohort of playwrights are chosen to come down for a week and have a writer's retreat to some extent and get our plays read. And then, so then it was a very different audience. It was a somewhat different play and a very different audience uh, in Florida, mm -hmm. as opposed to Western mass um, audience. And I've actually, even though it was just a few weeks ago, I've rewritten the play in, in some respects since then again, hearing it, getting the reactions. Um, the actors were really good. So that was, that was exciting. Um, and um, the audience was engaged. Um, they liked the humor a lot. They, that they, they, there were comments about this, that they liked the fact that there was humor to help them through mm -hmm. some dark territory. And um just this morning, it occurred to me that I might rewrite it a bit more um, as well. And, and again, there's a, that's a very much a family secrets. Um, not, that's not the only subject matter. There's, there's a lot about race and ethnicity and, and um, religious identity sort of woven in there in bits and pieces. But, um, but the heart of it, yeah, is, is a family secrets and what would happen if that secret comes to light. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the post-show uh, discussions? What was that like sitting through that, hearing other people ask questions, discuss your work? I mean, something so personal. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's going to be a tricky thing. I think, um, it was quite interesting. Um, I, I I don't want to characterize the audience, except I will say that they they were very very keen to have comedy, <laughs> and mm -hmm. the play so it does it it does employ humor. It is definitely not a comedy. Sure. So I think they were a little taken aback by some of the material, but everything that they had to say it's quite interesting. It's interesting to see what people get preoccupied with. And in this case, because there's a lot of stuff thrown out that may or may not be true by the characters, understandably, the audience got very caught up in trying to figure out what's true. And I was directly asked questions that I just chose not to answer, which is also fine. And we were even told that, that you don't have to answer the questions that are thrown at you. And I didn't want to be coy, but I also just, it, it was a balancing act, answering well, some questions, not answering others. Answering um, questions on the spot is always tricky. 
especially when it's something you need to think about to formulate a comprehensible answer. And having to answer questions about a play that you just heard, and now you're thinking about thinking, should I keep this? Is this right? Does that work? And then somebody questions you about some other aspect of the play. It's very hard to be brilliant in that moment or uh, cogent, I suppose, is another word. So, yeah, saying it's that's there's an art to saying I'm going to think about that. But thank you for the question. Well, yes, and also the questions are really good information about what you maybe need to work on a little bit. So if that question is preoccupying you, is it good that it's a question that you come away from the play and that wasn't answered? Is that a good thing? Or is that actually something that the playwright needs to work on more? Because maybe you don't want to leave that as an unknown. Maybe that's too dissatisfying but then sometimes you really want the audience to take away questions you don't want to resolve everything yeah so yeah yeah, it's it's tricky you want to satisfy the audience of course but you want to do justice to the story and like we discussed earlier in this in this uh interview sometimes those questions just have to go unanswered because that's the nature of this particular story Yes. Yeah. And you have to figure out which it is. With each question, it's do you resolve it or do you not? That takes time. You got to think about your own work. I mean, even though you wrote it, you're supposedly the expert on it. You know this. It's a changing thing. And plays take time to ruminate about, you know, think about what's best and do you want to go there? And is it necessary that I do this? Um so yeah, rewriting and workshopping and developing the play, that's if anything, it's harder than the first part, I think, in in several cases, you know, just getting it onto the paper. Absolutely. And I, I had very much in mind one of the actors who did who participated in the first reading of Destination Wedding last August. He said, don't resolve these questions. Mm-hmm. He was very explicit. He he did a cold reading. He was he did a great job. He he did not want to read the script before he did the reading. And he went with it and he was an experienced actor, so he could do this. And he said, you know, it's really important that you not actually resolve these things. This play won't be for everyone, but don't resolve everything or you will you'll ruin it. So that anyway, that's a balancing act, figuring that out. Yeah, it is a balancing act. Good luck with that, because, yeah, every time you do this, it's, it's a completely different adventure. So, yeah, it is. It is an Christine Benvenuto, this has been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for your play, yours. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck with this and the next several dozen scripts. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, George. It's been such a pleasure. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. 
I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.